Well, I want to start out this morning talking about meteor showers. So when I was a kid, I would always come to school and everyone would be saying, did you see the meteor shower last night? And no, I had never done it. I, I, I don't think they were as good back then on the news as saying that there's going to be a meteor shower tonight as they are now. Now they do a great job. Um, so I thought when I have kids, I'm going to know when the meteor shower is and we're going to watch it. So it turns out that the, the very reliable meteor shower comes twice a year in February and August. And one night they came on the news and said, for the Midwest, tonight will be the best ever. And it, it's a super clear night. We're passing right near it. And um, uh, yeah, that made it awesome. And so, but it's February. It's the February meteor shower. You know what a really clear night in February means? frozen cold. So, so, but there we all were with our, my wife's already like, oh. So there we all were with our, uh, we put cots on the deck. And, and uh, so you're facing at the sky. We got our sleeping bags because it is cold. We got it pulled up to our eyeballs and you just stare straight up at the sky. Now, I don't know what I was expecting from a meteor shower, but let me tell you what meteor showers actually are. You, you sit there for three to six minutes in silence, which is a long time when you're just just laying there freezing to death. That's like an entire Guns N' Roses song, but without the song. And you're just, and then, and then somebody goes, there's one. And everybody else goes, where? Oh, well, it's gone. So you just lay there another three to six to eight minutes. And somebody goes, ooh, and you're like, what, what, what? Oh, it's gone. Well, my first grade son cannot take this. He's like, I don't know where to look. And we're like, well, you just, you know, you, you got to look everywhere. And he goes, I can't do that. I'm just going to pick this part of the sky above me, he says. And I'll just see the ones that are here. Well, when you're looking at one-sixth of the sky for something that happens every six minutes, right, you're going to see like one or two in an hour. So, but that was his plan. So, but then, you know, the sleeping bag's not right because he's in first grade. It's not covering his feet. It's not covering his face. The zipper got cold. It's touching his skin. He's jacking with the sleeping bag. And at that moment, this green, lime green streak covers half the sky and explodes. It sends out from it a magenta, brilliant red pink streak that completes the sky and explodes. And we all go, whoa. But he missed it because he's jacking with a sleeping bag. <laughs> so then he starts crying. He's like, I don't know where to look. I said, look, look, you just, you just look at the whole sky. And then if there's just a little bit of movement, you just let your eye kind of go that way. That's all I can say. I, I can't tell you exactly where to look. And I can't tell you exactly when to look there. That's just not the way it works. If you, if you look too narrowly, you're going to miss it. I think the work of God in our life is often just like that. If you look too narrowly, you're going to miss it. That is what our scripture is about this morning. Folks looking too narrowly and missing what God is doing. In Matthew 27, we've been studying for the season of Lent, we've been studying the crucifixion of Christ. And so we are in verse 46 this morning. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Now, what is this all about? 
prophet Elijah coming back and wait and see? And were they serious or making fun of him? And what's going on here? To answer that question, you have to know how the Bible ended in their day. There was no New Testament at this time. So these are the last two verses of the Bible that they had. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I'll come and strike the land with a curse. The end. Wait for it. That's how it ended. Wait for the return of Elijah who's going to you know, save you from the curse of God. So, When Jesus is on the cross and he cries out, Eli, Eli, which means my God, my God. Some of them standing around there in the crowd thought they heard him say, Elias, Elias, which is how they would have pronounced Elijah in their language. Even the disciples had heard of this prophecy about Elijah has to come first. And they asked Jesus about it. If you go back 10 chapters earlier to Matthew 17, you find this. Then his disciples asked him, Why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, but he wasn't recognized. And they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also make the Son of Man suffer. Then the disciples realized He was talking about John the Baptist. So when Jesus says Elijah came and it was John the Baptist and they missed it. Clearly Jesus thinks everyone's being way too literal in what they're looking for in the prophet Elijah come back from the Old Testament. When Jesus says it was John the Baptist and they missed it. He's saying look here's what the last two verses of the Old Testament mean. Before God sends the Messiah and the Savior to save us all, uh, he's going to send this electrifying prophet like Elijah to make the straight path like Elijah, but he'll be ignored by the people and tormented like Elijah. It was Elijah in the Old Testament and all those same things happened to John the Baptist in the New Testament. So get this, by the time Jesus is on the cross and everyone's waiting for the return of Elijah, Already happened two years ago. Already missed it. Already missed it. Now they're standing around the cross. Missing the Messiah. The son of man. In part because they're standing around waiting for a literal return. Of Elijah the Old Testament prophet to happen first. The Messiah hangs on the cross. Dying right in front of them. But they're waiting for some other victorious figure to come first. Before they really go on high alert. And in many places in the world, they are still waiting for the victorious figure to come first. So uh, watch this video. This uh, video comes from a rabbi. It wasn't posted very long ago. And this Jewish rabbi was asked, why don't you believe Jesus is the Messiah? And well, hear his explanation for yourself. This is a different question. Is People who are Christian are asking, why for Jews is Jesus not the Messiah? Yeah, um, you know, again, excellent question. Uh, the question can logically be asked. In fact, uh, in terms of the messianic vision, uh, because let's say I say, well, I don't believe that Jesus is God or Son of God, but let him be the Messiah, which we do believe in. So I would say there are two points. Point number one is 
that classical Jewish uh, literature does not accept the notion of a second coming, and that is once the Messiah reveals himself, he will accomplish a designated mission of getting the Jews back to Israel, rebuilding the temple, and hopefully thank, uh, establishing world's peace. Now, Jesus, of course, was uh, crucified. Jesus was murdered before he completed any of those things. And because of that, uh, Christianity developed the idea of a second coming, that uh, Jesus will come back and complete the mission. Uh, as I say, as far as uh, normative Jewish theology is concerned, when the Messiah comes, he's going to get the job done and he's not going to die and then come back. Now, I want to be clear that not all forms of Judaism still expect a Messiah. But for those that do, as uh, this gentleman follows, they expect the Messiah to literally bring all Jews back to the physical ground called Israel and there set up a kingdom that forms worldwide peace from that place. And until that happens, they're not considering any other Messiahs. They're looking very narrowly for a very specific thing and I, and, and I believe missing much of what God has done and is doing. I, I uh, believe they'll be waiting a very long time for that. All of this reminds me of uh, a Steve Martin movie. Uh, <laughs> the Man with Two Brains. Have you seen this? Steve Martin is a widower, but he's fallen in love. So he goes to the portrait of his deceased wife to ask her for a sign. Would it be okay with her for him to remarry? A sign. Let's watch what happens. Rebecca, if there's anything wrong with my feelings for Dolores, just give me a sign. No! on the lookout for it. Meanwhile, I'll just put you in the closet. Like the people gathered around the cross of Jesus, we often miss what God is already doing because we're looking too narrowly at one part of the sky. Often it's Often this is because we just don't know our own scriptures well enough. So we just look for whatever others tell us to look for. Now this will not uh, today be a message about the end times. But, but this part relates to what they were looking for at, in the end. And what I'm about to say is a modern example of the same thing. So we'll go there for a minute. They were waiting for the prophet Elijah to return. Uh, I think Christians have a small obsession now with trying to figure out who is the Antichrist. Who's heard this one? Listen to any, any Christian radio during an election year, and it creeps in. Um, so I, I have lived half a lifetime now. I hope not more than that. Um, watching as Christians try to puzzle over who is the Antichrist. And uh, my very first year as pastor, someone wanted to meet with me in my office to inform me that uh, Barack Obama was the Antichrist because he gave such good speeches. Now, I feel like presidential speeches have declined steadily since Abraham Lincoln, but they thought his were really great, antichrist quality at least. Um, but I remember, before, I remember before that, Oprah Winfrey was the antichrist. Do you remember this? 
because she has this huge following. And if you look at her beliefs, they're half Christian and, and half a mixture of every guest that's ever been on the show. Um, but I remember before that, Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. Now this one's clutch. Watch this one. Ronald has six letters in it. Wilson has six letters in it. Reagan has six letters in it. 666, Mark of the Beast. Can't be more clear than that. <laughs> Except that before that, Khrushchev was the Antichrist. Before that, Stalin. Before that, Hitler. Before that, Napoleon. Before that, some medieval pope you've never heard of. Before that, the emperor of Rome was the Antichrist. Do we even know what the scripture says about the Antichrist? Do you even know which scripture to go to to find anything about the Antichrist? If you said the book of Revelation, you are not correct. Um, only two books of the Bible even mention Antichrist, the letter of 1 John and the tiny letter of 2 John. And here is basically what it says. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And already, watch this, many such Antichrists have appeared. This is written in the first century. From this we know the last hour has come. So I'm writing you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. So we keep waiting around for this one destructive figure who's going to be super political and up into the world with charisma and popularity, although scripture doesn't tell us to look for any of those characteristics. All of that comes from 1970s TV preachers. Although someone in the front row kind of groaned, I said it was before the 70s, and they were like, yes, it was before the 70s. So I wasn't there, so I don't know. But uh, scripture actually says... Look for those who deny Christ. And in the first century, they said many of these characters have come. In fact, in a few verses I skipped there, they said they've been in our own church already. And history plainly shows us a parade of villains who have denied the way of Jesus, or at least denied it with their life, and spread confusion and misery over the earth. But we keep missing it because we're waiting for the one big Antichrist. You know, some kid with a pet Rottweiler and three sixes on his head. But scripture actually says, look at the whole sky. See all the ones who denied Jesus in the past, the present, and the future, and resist them all. There's an old joke. You probably already heard it about looking too narrowly for what God's doing. There's a man on a roof during a flood. The flood has reached his roof line. He prays, Lord, save me from this flood. And in that moment, a log comes bobbing up to the roof. He wants to climb on it and just float on that to safety. But what if it rolls? He's like, you know, I will trust in the Lord. I will not become desperate. The log bobs on. A few minutes later, a guy comes rowing up a canoe and says, buddy, you got to get in the canoe. The water is going to rise. It's going to rise higher than this house. He wants to get in because it's a canoe, but he's like, you know what? I trust in the Lord, not in men. And he prays, Lord, save me from these floodwaters. And the guy rows on. And uh, then he hears a helicopter. They lower down a line with a little life ring. They yell down with the bullhorn, take hold of the life ring. And that thing's swinging around. He really wants to grab it, but he's like, I will trust in the Lord. Lord, save me. And in that moment, the floodwater sweeps him off the roof. He drowns and dies 
A moment later, he's in the presence of God. He said, Lord, I, I trusted you. I prayed three times that you would save me from the flood. Why didn't you? God says, what are you talking about? I sent you a log and a canoe and a helicopter. There it is. You saw it coming a mile away, didn't you? All right. We often miss what God is doing because we're looking too narrowly. Also, like the people gathered around the cross, we often miss what God is doing because we're looking in the wrong place for it. Half the people standing around Jesus' cross did not believe he was the Messiah because he came from a small, scuzzy town in the north. And they were sure the Messiah would never come from Nazareth, a place like that. They say that all the time throughout the New Testament. I see modern Christians miss a lot of what God has for them by looking in the wrong place. I see it a lot among Christian singles in the area of romance. Christian singles convinced God has someone for them. And I agree. And then they go looking for the one God has prepared for them at the bar. Now, I know some of you are my friends and you met at the bar and it's turned out good. Now, let's be honest. You rolled the dice and you beat the odds (laughs) because that bar was a minefield of morons that you waded through to pick out your little diamond in the rough. And if we're all the way honest, spiritually, they were a little bit of a fixer-upper, weren't they? (laughs) All right. In low places. All right. So, why did you think you were going to find the one God prepared for you in a place like that? You're not going to see a meteor shower looking at the ground the whole time. You've got to at least keep your eyes on the sky. The one God has prepared for you is probably at this moment chasing after God somewhere. So you should chase after God too. Do the things the people of God are doing. Go the places you believe God is calling you to go to. Learn from the ones the people of God are learning from. When you're running as fast as you can toward God, then look around and see who's keeping up. And there she is. There he is. More likely the one God has prepared for you. I also see people miss what God is doing in their vocation by looking in the wrong places for God's blessing on career and business. We pray, God, help me find a fulfilling career, a way to use the gifts you have given me for your kingdom. And then take a job in a place filled with ethical concerns, a culture of dishonesty and corruption, a moral-free environment. You think this is where God wants you to use your gifts to further his kingdom? You know what God needs? Uh, God needs grocery store shelf stalkers. Absolutely. Where would we be without them? God needs trash men to keep cities clean, construction workers to build homes. God needs these things. God needs teachers and doctors and accountants. The lists of professions that further the kingdom of God is probably tens of thousands of different professions. You know what God does not need? God does not need another get-rich-quick pyramid scheme in which you call people you haven't talked to since college and pretend to be their friend to get them to buy something or sell something. God does not need anyone in an office helping the poor find their way into a payday loan so they can be charged $400 interest and have their car stolen. God does not need lawyers looking for people and companies to sue with frivolous, although technically legal, lawsuits. These things do not further the kingdom of God. 
Use your gifts to build something, almost anything. Use your gifts to build someone, almost anyone. Build them up. And this is the kingdom of God, and it's calling on your life. Often we miss God because we're looking in the wrong place. But finally, uh, like those standing around the cross, misunderstanding what Jesus is crying out and missing what he's going through. We often miss what God is doing by looking for something that's too easy. Once anything gets hard, we mistakenly think, well, God can't be in this. This feels awful. Because surely if, if God were in my marriage, then my spouse would just serve me and serve me and never get upset and have needs of their own and make any big mistakes. Surely if God was in my family, these kids would just do what they're told and not wander and get into big trouble. Surely if God were in my circle of friends, my friends would be there when I need them. And otherwise, leave me alone and expect nothing from me. If God was in my church, then my church would be full of victories and no losses. It would just grow and grow and be filled with really nice people who never make mistakes. And if God were really in my life, it would be long and happy, never with sickness or heartache or disappointment. You're not going to find God in places that look like that. You know how I know? Because read this book. Read this passage we're reading today. God is in the hurt and the pain as much as he is in the joy and the victory. God is in the confusion and the doubt as much as he is in the belief and the faith. What God is doing in your life, and you, and you already know this is true because of the things he's already doing and has done. What God is doing in your life is usually accomplished in the furnace, not at the dessert buffet. What God is doing in your life is usually accomplished in the furnace, the hard times, not those dessert buffet little blessing times in between. And he brings us those to give us a rest, but that's not where you made your big life changes, is it? Don't miss the revelation of God happening right in front of you. Don't miss your Elijah come to turn the hearts and make the roads straight and make way the way of the Lord. Don't miss your Elijah moment because you're looking too narrowly. If you have in your head a very specific picture of how the word of God's going to come into your life, watch out. Many like you have been disappointed. Make sure scripture doesn't already come with examples of how other people with your same expectation missed it. Don't miss your Elijah moment because you're looking in the wrong place. Looking for God-ordained love with someone who doesn't even know God themselves is a mistake. Sitting at a soccer game, surrounded by people and praying that God will send you someone to share Jesus with, while the families of all your kids' friends sit around you waiting for someone to share Jesus with them. To miss that would be a mistake. Wishing you could be in a group of Christian men pursuing God together. But when you get with your Christian male friends, all you do is drink yourself into social comfort and a few laughs. The real you, the real them never appearing. That would be a mistake. 
And don't miss your Elijah moment by ignoring or running away from the hard. Tell your relative who's always in crisis, I'm following Proverbs now and I'm never loaning you money again. It's time for you to pursue real health and real change while I pursue real wisdom. I had one friend who told his relative who fell on hard times, you can live with me until you get back on your feet, but you cannot pay me a dime while you live with me. You have to go to church with me every Sunday. That's the price. It was a great deal, and it made all the difference. Most of all, do not avoid the suffering you must suffer. This story comes to us from Doris Sanford. I was deep in thought in my office, preparing a lecture to be given that evening at a college across town when the phone rang. A woman I had never met introduced herself and said that she was the mother of a seven-year-old and that she was dying. She said that her therapist had advised her that discussing her pending death with her son would be too traumatic for him. But somehow that didn't feel right to her. Knowing that I worked with grieving children, she asked my advice. I told her that our heart is often smarter than our brain and I thought she knew what would be best for her son. I also invited her to attend the lecture that night since I was speaking about how children cope with death. She said she would be there. I wondered later if I'd recognize her at the lecture, but my question was answered when I saw a frail woman being half carried into the room by two adults. That night I talked about the fact that children usually sense the truth long before they are told and that they often wait until they feel adults are ready to talk about it before sharing their concerns and questions. I said that children can usually handle truth better than denial even though the denial is intended to protect them from pain. I said that respecting children meant including them in the family's sadness, not shutting them out. She had heard enough. At the break, she hobbled to the podium and through her tears, she said, I knew it in my heart. I just knew I should tell him. She said that she would tell him that night. The next morning, I received another phone call from her. She could hardly talk, but I managed to hear the story through her choked voice. She awakened him when they got home the night before and quietly said, Derek, I have something to tell you. He quickly interrupted her saying, Oh, Mommy, is it now that you're going to tell me that you are dying? She held him close and they both sobbed while she said, Yes. After a few minutes, the little boy wanted down. He said that he had something for her that he'd been saving. In the back of one of his drawers was a dirty pencil box. Inside the box was a letter written in simple scrawl. It said, Goodbye, Mom. I will always love you. How long he had been waiting to hear the truth, I don't know. I do know that two days later, mom died. In her casket was placed a dirty pencil box and a letter. Don't miss your Elijah moment, looking too narrowly in the wrong place and running from the heart. So at the back of our sanctuary during the season of Lent, we have the cross. It's a, it's a focus point for us to remember this story and, and all that is happening there. So let us stand together and let us face the cross. And we're going to have a moment of silence. This will be a time of prayer.
in which I invite you to ask God, is there anything that he has for you that you are missing because you are looking too narrowly? Is there anything that God wants to do in your life that you are missing because you're looking in the wrong place? Is there anything that God would like to bring to you but you're missing it because you're running from the hard? And in silence, I I pray that you're able to hear him. Now, whatever he reveals to you for this question will be difficult. But know also that he has been there to walk with you Not just to reveal it to you, but to walk with you as you carry that into whatever he has for you that you have until now been missing. So be brave and seek the Lord. Go to him in prayer. So that we would not miss the meaning of the cross, Jesus left his disciples with the Lord's table. He said uh, on the night he was betrayed, this is my body, broken. For what? For you. The same way he took a cup. He said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant, poured out. For what? For the forgiveness of sin. And as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you remember my death until what? Until I eat and drink it with you in my Father's kingdom because we do believe in a second coming. So we take part in that as often as we can in worship so that we don't forget the meaning of this cross. We don't miss it. Let us pray the prayer Christ has taught us to pray. If you don't know it by heart, it is up here on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is a kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You will have to face forward for this part. Therefore, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day, may Christ and all he's revealing to you be as real to you as this food and this drink. If you want to proclaim all of these things in your life, And remember the meaning of that cross. We invite you to come forward and tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and receive those things today. Come forward when you're ready. Let's stand together. We need to go out from this place completely surrounded by the presence of the one who can reveal God to us. So this prayer is a prayer for that. Christ as a light, illumine and guide me. Christ as a shield, overshadow me. Christ me, Christ over me, Christ beside me, on my left and my right. This day be within and without me, lowly and meek, yet all-powerful. Be in the heart of each to whom I speak, in the mouth of each who speaks unto me. This day be within and without me, lowly and meek, yet all-powerful. Christ as a light, Christ as a shield, Christ beside me on my left and my right. Surrounded by that presence, go in peace. Amen.